Hello and welcome to the GLT podcast series with the Greenshaw Learning Trust and Friends Book Club, where we talk all things teaching and learning with leading educationalists across the world. My name is Rhiannon Rainbow. And my name is Dave Tushingham. This is a place to enjoy listening to organic conversations between teachers and authors, a journey in bringing the latest evidence-based literature into the classroom. Uh, good afternoon and welcome uh, to the 70th session of the Greenshaw Learning Trust and Friends Book Club. I'm Rhiannon Rainbow, uh, once again, host for today's discussion. We have such an exciting session for you today as we're going to explore the book, Inspiring Deep Learning with Metacognition, a guide for secondary teaching with our special guest, Nathan Burns. Um, we also have our co-founder, Dave. Yes, he's going to be joining us as usual on the panel, but he also submitted some case studies to the book. So it's brilliant to be able to have him along and hear his insight on that as well. And, and that additional um, layer of richness that we'll be able to add it to what we're doing today. And as if that wasn't enough, we have uh, one of our own assistant head teachers from Five Acres High School, Kylie Harris, who's joining us today. Um, she's an English specialist as well. So there's there are so many different things we're going to be able to discuss and include. And Kylie will also be um, joining in on providing uh, the session takeaway for us, too. So, Nathan, wow, a very, very busy person um, <laughs> in, in, in so many different ways. We're so grateful to to you for joining us this afternoon. Thank you for having me. You bring such a wealth of experience and in, in this sphere, which is a, such a very important part of, of, mm. of what we need to do to, to help on so many levels. So it's great that you're bringing it to the forefront and, I'm, and, and Dave will share more around the why your book um, builds into the, the, the thread of all the books we're looking at as well. And he will introduce that in a moment. Um, so what I think we'll do actually is is just get stuck in because um, I, I want to hear all of the exciting conversations we're going to be having. So Dave, if it's okay with you, we'll get started. I'll hand over to you. You can share your wisdom on that piece and then we'll hear more from Nathan, yourself and Kylie and we'll just get the conversation flowing. Amazing. Thanks, Ree. And uh, Nathan, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and thanks for writing the book as well. I know that it's a passion of yours, Metacognition. And I think the book is um, such an important book for us to, to really understand um, some of the processes that go behind it um, and some of the strategies uh, straight away into successful implementation. And, and you've got chapters on that in the book, and that's really good. Um, the book goes beyond that if you're looking further um, at homework um, and independent learning as well. Uh, and there's so many ideas to take away. Uh, but the thing that struck me about the book is very quickly you talk about what it's not um, as well, uh, because there are a lot of myths around metacognition. And it's one of those um, sort of um, branches of pedagogy, which is um, maybe sort of very challenging to implement, but also to, to understand um, sort of where it sits within our teaching, too. And, um, and that idea of sort of um, thinking about sort of how we learn and, and what we're what we're learning and, and helping our students to become those independent learners and, and to be able to think um, sort of really clearly and deeply um, is, is something which uh, sometimes can be seen as um, I think of a Venn diagram as either one or the other either we're, we're sort of teaching them in this way of um, sort of thinking skills or we're teaching them um, in terms of explicit instruction and processes and I think the book uh, for me taught, um, sort of helped me to understand that it can you can have both. You can you can teach um, how to think metacognitively. Uh, and, and that was really powerful and important for me. Um, there's so much to talk about in this book. Usually I would talk for a little bit longer, but I know we've had a few tech issues, but also um, having a little contribution in the book, um, it feels um, 
sort of a little off to me to to go in and, and sort of talk talk about the greatness of the book because the book is is brilliant. Um, and I was just humbled to be a small part of this. Um, so thank you so much for that opportunity too. Uh, but Nathan, I don't know if you wanted to start off by sort of sharing a little bit about sort of why you wrote the book, what um, what sort of uh, motivated you, what your interest mm -hmm. in metacognition, where it's come from, where it lies, um, and, and sort of maybe some some things that we can sort of start thinking about in the session today. Yeah, definitely. Well, firstly, thank you for having me um, just on this afternoon. And obviously, Dave, um, the pleasure's all mine, obviously, having your contributions and your input in the book. And I think it's the contributions from people like yourself that have made the book what it is. Um, now, I remember when I started to train to teach, I loved all of the heavy academic readings and all of the, the literature which I'd plough through. And after about 18 months, I thought, OK, I, I kind of lost a lot of my enthusiasm for readings of the, the heavy journal articles, the heavy, you know, the 400, 500 page books on pedagogy and do it like this. And, do, and, and, and I'd lost quite a bit of enthusiasm for a lot of the research, which I'd loved. But one avenue that I still was really, really interested in was metacognition. It's something that I'd stumbled upon, I think, towards the end of my first year teaching Um kept researching, kept researching. Then when I had more assignments that I needed to do, I kind of ignored what the assignment was. And I just wrote about metacognition. And I ticked enough of the boxes to pass because I just wanted to, to do more stuff on metacognition, really. Um, and I think because I loved it so much and because I had also got a little bit fed up with um, sort of the really heavy journal readings that I was doing sort of on a nightly or weekly basis, I thought, right, well, this is something really important, something really powerful, something that wasn't really being spoken about in it, in its current form until you know sort of the EF report came out what was it about five years ago now um because before then obviously it's had many different guises probably most recently as the learning to learn um sort of curriculum or sessions from the early noughties um and I think I really wanted to distill something that can always quite complicated actually um and I've been reflecting recently after I did a session with some ECTs where I talked to them about metacognition, I realized actually it's quite, it is, it is a complicated theory. There is a lot going on actually in metacognition, but we can talk about it and think about it in a way that doesn't make it too complicated. Um, and then breaking it down into just strategies, things we can do in the classroom. Um, yeah, rather than it sort of being 500 pages of um, a theory, there is one, one chapter, 14 pages on theory and after that it basically just goes straight into strategies things that you can do in your classroom um and I think that's what all my work's been on so not only this book but the other the other articles I've done of a podcast etc it's all about saying right if this theory is as good as I say it is as the EF says it is uh, you know other writers Jennifer Webb especially has, has done a lot on secondary metacognition um if we say it's as good as it is, then we actually need strategies to take it into the classroom. So that's really what the book focuses on. And obviously, Dave, with your contribution, the way the book works is here's a strategy and here's how it's being used in a classroom near you. Um, and that that was kind of the gist behind the book about, you know, right, this theory, understand what it's on about. Um, but right, let's just get into some strategies. And this is what it looks like in a classroom. This is what these practitioners have done with these ideas. This is what they've um they found useful this is what they've struggled with possibly and just really trying to almost write it like it's a blog you know an easy to read edgy blog or even like a twitter thread just something that's that's easy to dip in and out of every strategy in the book is really about a page long it's not too heavy you get a gist of what it's about you get a gist of how someone's used it um and you get a few guides as to sort of how to how to implement them into, in, into your classroom and 
really, I think it's come out exactly how I wanted it as something that's easy to digest, but doesn't dumb down the theory. It just it makes it into sort of bite sized chunks that that hopefully, fingers crossed, it's the aim anyway that people can dip in and out of and, and take and implement into their classrooms. And and that's exactly what this um, this book club is about as well. We want to we want to sort of think about those ideas that you take into the classrooms. But I guess it's probably um, we're sort of stopping a little bit about um, around some of the misconceptions uh, with metacognition. Could you talk a little bit about sort of what it's not and about what metacognition is? Mm. You talk about how yeah we don't want to sort of oversimplify um, this, this idea that, that could appear quite complex. We want to make it really accessible. Um, so so like what what is metacognition to you, Nathan? Why what do you um, like how how do we how do we sort of distill that so that somebody can walk away here because like I, I i asked that question with this in mind um i've written my my piece um for you and i wrote about um visualizers and uh, and it's about modeling and and it's about how we can sort of teach students how to think about the problem as we mm-hmm. go through and narrate to them um, and when i was sort of reading um with jennifer webb um jennifer webb talked um about how it's something that um, we want to become, they want to become independent learners, um, and it's not something we sort of do to them, they need to be able to do it themselves, and that all made sense. And I started to worry, am I, am I doing it to, am I sort of actually sort of teaching them rather than getting them to think? And I thought, well, no, that's just the scaffolding, and it comes away, and yeah. um, but there's this sort of really real danger as I was walking through this of, um, you know, have I understood it well enough? Do I really know what metacognition is all about? So. So what, what sort, of, um, sort of thoughts do you have around, um, around what metacognition really is and what, and what well, it's not? Yeah, well, this is where I, I'll dip into the book. And there's, there's the definition that I always go to, which is the, the, the Flavel quote from 1976. I, I should know it off by heart now, but I'll read it just to make sure I get, I get it spot on. Um, and, and the quote is, I am being metacognitive if I notice I'm having more trouble learning A than B if it strikes me that I should double check C before accepting it as fact. Um, and I think when you start to explore that, delve into it a little bit more, it makes it makes sense. And then I sort of went for my own definition because um, I thought I could be this great theorist. I could I could make my own definition. And I, uh, you can see I dumbed it down quite a lot because I went for the little voice inside your head that constantly evaluates and informs your actions. Um, and it does sound quite simplistic. It doesn't sound exactly journal article. But the idea behind that definition is just we've all got a little voice in our head. That especially, you know, we as teachers working in education, we're constantly evaluating what we're doing. Quite literally in the classroom, we, we evaluate and change what we're doing. It feels like hundreds of thousands of times sometimes just during, during one, one lesson. Um, but it is that, that sort of constant, huh, that didn't quite work. I'm going to do it like this. Or when I did that last time, this one worked, that strategy didn't. I'm going to do it like this. Or even if it's behavior management, when I did that with this student, it didn't work because, but it did work with this student because, so I'm going to do it like that. How might it work on this other student? I've not tried it on before. What, you know, so it's all about that, that constant, yeah, evaluation. And it's not just sort of post, it's not just sort of you, you do a task, you, you implement a strategy, I'll evaluate it boom static done that links back into how you approach another task how you know that a task um, is heading in the right direction um so i think yeah that that's where i come from a, a what it is i think the what it isn't it's often confused with this idea of self-regulation um and self-regulation is is huge I, I don't even really think you can you can distill self-regulation down into a guide or a book it's i often think of self-regulation as as an umbrella it's it's everything to do with um regulation of um of an individual and yes that includes metacognition that that regulation that that meta of of cognition but that also involves your regulation of behavior your regulation around and um revision of um 
getting to lesson on time, all, all of those different factors around behavior and just how you regulate yourself and your emotions and behaviors. That to me is more the self-regulation and metacognition fits within that, that umbrella it is one strand of, um, yeah, I guess of self, you know, it, it is one way we regulate, but we are doing that specifically in, in regards to sort of the, the cognition or the strategies um, and the approaches that we take really. Yeah. I think I think first of all, what I'm um, what I've got from that is like you don't you don't want that journalistic way of um, uh, sort of definition because that's just not going to um, sort of be something that maybe we can access in the same way. And so, so having something which is really sort of transferable for us to be able to go, oh yeah, no, I get that, I know what that means. I think first of all, that's really really important. Um, and uh, and I'm sort of I'm hearing this idea of this like little voice in the head that just sort of um, takes you through that journey um, and. And maybe it's uh, beyond the sort of mathematical thinking as well. I was just thinking as you as listening then, um, a lot of my students will be we think in that way. Lots of students will just be sort of shutting down and thinking, I just don't get it. And so by building that and showing that, um, showing them that sort of almost culture of errors you go through and just saying that it's okay to not know. It's okay to, to get that wrong. Look, I just made that mistake there. That avenue didn't work. And now I'm going to come back and I'm going to check to see because A and B haven't worked for me. Um, I think just modeling that always gives them the permission um, to feel a little bit more comfortable about the mass that they're doing, hopefully reduces some of that mass anxiety maybe as well. Yeah. Um, but, but for me, um, so what I picked up is, is the actual instruction you're giving there um, as, as you're modeling that to them um, and taking that away over time. Um, that, that feels like something that can really support that process and that, that thinking um, behind it. And, and it's really easy to sort of get um, sort of caught up in, in what it's not as well. And, and so, so just being sort of really mindful of um, of, of how you narrate and, and being humble with it, I think is quite an important part of the, the process. Yeah. I think that that's, that's absolutely spot on. When, when we think about modeling and, and visualizing that sort of thing, we're experts stood at the front of the room. We don't realize how many assumptions we've made and, and sometimes consciously because we're, we think, all oh, right, behavior's not been great, but now they're listening, let me crack on with it. Or we look at the clock and realize what we need to get stuff done. And sometimes it's subconscious. We don't realize the, those sort of little decisions we're taking. But I know Dave, obviously from our maths background, if we, if we throw up an equation um, with, with say a, a bracket, you know, a, a bracket in there, we might expand that or we might look to just, you know, to go about it in a, in a different way. We will kind of know in our heads when to use the different strategies to solve that. The kids don't have that experience. The students that are in front of us don't really know. Oh, why? Why is Sir doing that? Why is Miss doing it like that? It's all about, especially when we are stood at the front of the room. It's all about shining a light, basically, on our mental processes. What What is it that we're doing, and why are we making those choices? And that's what's so powerful from a, a modelling perspective. Um, and that's why something like the visualizer, or you know, going through step by step and doing some live modelling. That's why something like that is so powerful because everything you do you can provide your justification for doing it. We know, and we've refined it over years and years and years and years of practice. We're experts in our fields. Um, so yeah, we know why we're doing it like that, but actually just sharing sharing some of that with students is incredibly powerful. Yeah, I think it's uh, spot on. And I know we're talking from a mass perspective, but Kylie, I don't know, but sort of from your subject, whether there's something um, which you'll hear in there, you think, yeah, that sort of chimes with me, or whether there's anything that that, that you'd want to sort of explore further if there's anything that, that you wanted to, to introduce or, or talk about. Well, the, the key thing that you touched on there that is really important within an English classroom as it is in a maths, maths classroom is that shining, as you just said, that shining a light on the mental processes, particularly when you're taking students from here's some knowledge that you need to know about this text or this poem 
But actually what we now need you to do is be able to write about that. And students tend to struggle from going from one phase into the next phase. So write, showing them, first of all, how to, to write an essay, even going down to what an introduction looks like, takes quite a lot of modelling and really breaking down those processes almost at sentence level and talking those through bit by bit by bit. And what I've, you know, by kind of adopting more metacognitive processes with, with my own classroom, I've just come to, to see how transformative it can be in showing students, you know, right, I'm using this word here because actually this is this is what it's gonna what it's gonna do. Um, and look now, I'm gonna take this sentence to this place because this is why I need it to do that. And just kind of breaking it down bit by bit by bit. But also, you know, as they get more confident, sort of then passing the process back to them. Okay, why have I done this? Oh, because I need, because you need to do this. Great, okay, well, what am I gonna do next then? Oh, you're gonna do this, oh, why? And that's been really, like I say, transformative, just kind of being able to help them join the dots and sort of see, okay, I, I know this, and this is how I can now take that and, and and put it into an essay, um, which is vital for what is ultimately an essay, essay-based subject. Yeah, I, I mean that sounds um, actually spot on for for what we're thinking as well, because um, it's like the, the skills are very different. So maybe it would look different, um, but, but underneath the, the the general idea is is exactly the same then. And uh, and it's um, and it's something where I'm thinking about sort of um, my lessons, but also thinking about um, a session we had with Helen Howe, where uh, we thought about uh, the revision revolution and we looked at um, how when you are uh, revising you need to, to teach um, students how to revise and how to go for the pro um, that process we take that scaffolding away and um, and their particular techniques that Helen talked about Cornell notes being one of them that, that we would teach them the process but we would start to sort of take away some of those questions of, of why once we got to a place where we can see they're becoming more expert in that but at the very beginning of that process that question of why it's, it's quite regular. It's like you'll be modelling in front of the students in the classroom, and um, and there'll be there'll be lots of sort of um, narrated thoughts and and, yeah. and maybe lots of questions to the students about well, why is that decision being made there, and why would I have been thinking about that and not that, and um, and getting them to to think about those sort of that that voice behind, um, as Nathan said, um, the the process that that you're going through. Um, I don't know, Nathan, if that sort of makes sense and, and rings true with uh, with what you're thinking. Yeah, no, well, definitely. I think it, it's very easy. And I know sometimes I sort of get um, stuck on the maths examples, obviously very easy as, as a maths teacher to kind of get stuck on that. But like Harry was saying, it's just it's that shining a light isn't it, on, on what we're thinking. So, yeah, if you are analysing a poem, going through a play, going through a text, you know, as that as an English teacher, as an expert, you know what words you're looking for. You know what words provide significant meaning. You know why the why the author has chosen certain words. And I know I remember, I think it was last year, I covered a, a year 10, year 11 GCSE class. They were doing an inspector calls um, over in English. And I, I'd, I'd studied that book myself in my GCSEs and I could remember bits of it. And I remember sort of placing emphasis on different bits and trying to share that with them because I, I could remember from my GCSE sort of pointing out, right, this is important, this line's important. Why is that important? How does that link back to earlier on, um, you know, in, in, in the play? So, yeah, things like things like that. And, and that's what works across all subjects. Um, I think, to be honest, one, one of the things about metacognition, one of the, the big mistakes I'd say that's made is the belief that as soon as a student is strong metacognitively somewhere, they'll be strong metacognitively everywhere. Because um, oft, often, it's also often true. It, it's one of those where it, it's both true and false. Um, 
but obviously we've got to think it's it's the meta it's the evaluation of the cognition so as soon as that cognition changes well the the actual meta skills the ability to evaluate also changes so we also know that someone getting a grade nine in maths it's got a very good a very high likelihood of getting a grade nine in english they're, they're probably going to be doing quite well in both and they're also probably going to be quite good metacognitive in both but it's not always true um but actually if we're thinking about modeling modeling really is one of those areas where it's shining that spotlight it doesn't it doesn't really matter what you're teaching to whom shining that spotlight is really the aim of all of these you know all of the different modeling strategies in this book and elsewhere it really is just about shining the light so i think that's one of the areas we can be really consistent on in our metacognitive practice it doesn't matter who you're teaching um how good they are metacognitively elsewhere shining that light is so so powerful um yeah it um reminds me actually when you said that it's about it's about the modeling and with irrespective of what aspect we're looking at with when we're working with students so much of it comes back to the modeling of that mm. particular skill technique um section we're moving on to wherever you slice it and it reminds me Dave of our very first session with Mark McCourt where we were asking him about how do we help our students to become better at problem solving and he said well explain what you're doing as an expert when you are solving a problem narrate your thinking model that as well not just the communication of how you write it down but your thinking processes and when it goes wrong and how you identify that the first path you took isn't the right one. You made an incorrect assumption and where you have to rethink why you've done that, what indicators you used, and then take another path. And so I thought to myself, thought, well, that's obvious now he said it, but why hadn't I thought of it that way? That actually helping to share that with them, making it, make it having it more overt, making it clearer is going to be so incredibly powerful rather than always thinking as well that I need to have prepared. If I'm working at a challenging question, I need to have prepared my precise model I'm going to use each time and show them step by step what a perfect example from an expert looks like. Well, actually, I've gone through a lot of thinking to be able to get to that stage. And I also need to share that with my students as well. So regardless of your subject, they will assume that English experts always know exactly what to do in their subject. They'll think maths experts always know exactly what to do in their subject. And in narrating our thinking and the, and, and the decision-making processes we go through, we will help them with that aspect as well. Yeah, I think um, yeah, that makes absolute sense um, to me. And And what I'm what I'm thinking about at the moment is um, is the idea, um, Nathan, what you said about how just because um, you you've been successful maybe with your your, your thinking, your metacognitive practices um, in one particular area, um, when um, the the cognition changes, then actually you know, those sorts change, and it doesn't mean that you're automatically going to be really good uh, in those other areas. And something that we've done at our academy in the past is we've um, we've explicitly taught some of the techniques, um, some of those sort of revision techniques. Yeah. Uh, like your Cornell notes, um, like self-quizzing, um, for example. Mm. Um, and we would teach it um, through a tutor program um, yeah. where, where we teach explicitly how they work and we take that scaffold away over time and we guide that practice um, and, and eventually they'll be working and, and being successful independently. And what we are finding is that when we go um, and, and try and use them in subjects, so, so in maths, for example, we might decide that we're going to use some, some self-quizzing or we're going to use... Um, I don't know, flashcards or something like that to help with uh, remembering key facts or key terminology. 
And, um, and, and what was happening is um, the students were, were not successfully transferring all of the time. Um, their, their understanding, their, their knowledge of, um, of what it means to self-quiz, what it means to use flashcards. And, um, and, uh, and it was that, that sort of thinking where, where the thinking had changed. It wasn't just a generic um, question in a tutor session, which is of maybe prior knowledge three years prior to where they were. It's something mm -hmm. where they're having to... To, to think hard and, and so they're using a lot of the, the working memory on, on being able to, to sort of you know retrieve um, knowledge for, from for the maths um, that they're doing last week and, and yeah. it was uh, you know complex processes for them and, and they found it challenging and, and yeah. to think about those sort of metacognitive processes then um, it, it became a little too much and so we had to sort of you know teach um, within the uh, tutor sessions but then take it away from that and then um, take those skills and um, and subject teachers would then sort of reteach almost and, and retrieve, if you like, um, yeah. of, of some of those processes so that the students were able to transfer those skills. And, and what then sort of tended to happen, we've got no sort of concrete sort of evidence that goes behind that, but the feel uh, was that the once um, one or two, maybe three subject teachers had started teaching um, the, the techniques in their subjects, when they went to subjects four and five and used them, uh, they were able to transfer more independently. Um, yeah, and, and it started to build in that way too, and it just felt, felt incredibly layered, but it felt um, inc incredibly powerful to to start with a a, a technique, uh, one that you might see in, in in a book like this, and then you and mm -hmm. um, teach explicitly, and then then you start to take away that scaffold by using it in different um, scenario circumstances, not assuming then um, that they're they're going to be able to transfer that into into a different um, you know process or into a different subject. Yeah. Well, I think that that just goes to show that. However much we realise about sort of metacognition, actually cognitive load is such a, a crucial. So I think if we if we want to take the metacognition and put it into practice in the classroom, um, the one thing which we really have to pay attention to yeah, is, that, is that cognitive load, how much new information um, we're wanting students to attend to, which is sort of within the book, within the writing, within what I've said, metacognition, it's, it's the evaluation of cognition. If that cognition isn't isn't concrete yet, students are really going to struggle with that evaluation or vice versa students might be really confident with the with the cognition but if they're not familiar with uh, with the strategies of evaluation again they just end up having a lot to attend to really what we really need is students to be pretty solid on the, on the knowledge and we need them to be pretty solid with the strategies we want them to use and then they can really start to um you know attend to the metacognitive aspect we want whereas yeah if a student is still desperately trying to claw onto some mathematical information they learned three years ago or if um yeah even if students have got that if they're trying to take almost a generically taught something in a tutor program and apply it to something subject specific they've got to take that and i think dave i really like the approach that actually you took and sort of I, I've always I've written a lot about it. I've introduced it myself. I, I've always pushed for it. Metacognition within a tutor program is is crucial because that gives students the the opportunity to that sort of dip their toes into the water, I guess, of metacognition. So whether it's note making, whether it's flashcards, whether it's um, the use of, of of different graphic organizers, whatever it might be, they can start to understand some of the underpinning reasons behind using the strategies they can start to attend to them with some very basic information um i think i've done ones sort of comparing and contrasting and it was sort of like a, a bird and a fish just really obvious things one has wings one has fins um you know just really obvious things like that so students can grasp a little bit of the strategy and then yeah take it to a subject level students then have a have a have a bit of an understanding of that uh, of that new strategy 
where it's difficult content yet becomes too much, but where they where they know the content quite well, they're starting to get to grasp with that strategy, they can learn it in that mathematical context. Um, and then, yeah, it doesn't surprise me really that they've done that in a handful of subjects. They're then becoming more and more fluent with this strategy that they're using. They can begin to almost evaluate how they've used it across a, a range of different cognitive experiences or knowledge experiences. And then when it becomes or comes up in a different, you know, different environments so maybe they've never um used a particular strategy in pe or maybe they've never used it in religious studies because they've they've used that strategy in several other subjects they kind of have the know-how um and the adaptability with that strategy so yeah it makes a lot of sense that something like that would would work so well yeah and i was just um reflecting on what both of you were saying then as well in um i wonder if an added benefit might also be that if it only goes through subject specific, then maybe there'll be techniques that students aren't exposed to that mm -hmm. could also be really helpful because there isn't possibly that um, it, there hasn't yet been the opportunity to join it up and coordinate it in the same way. So if you're um, maybe like me, I came to Corbett Notes really late. Uh, I, oh, sorry, sorry, Cornell note-taking. There you go. That was a Freudian slip there, wasn't it? Um, Cornell note-taking. I never used myself because of the particular route I went down. Mm -hmm. And it just made the, me then aware that actually when I'm working with students is trying to show them a broader, um, yeah. a, a sort of a selection of different ones as well. So they have that opportunity and subjects have that opportunity and there's this shared language around it. Yeah. And I think, I guess because of my positions and sort of how this book can be used, I, I, I come at it as well, often from a middle leadership or senior leadership point of view. If you are wanting to introduce strategies, if you are wanting a, a sort of a, a cross school, cross trust strategy, it's very helpful to have a core set of strategies, maybe through a tutor programme that everyone is using in the same way to build up that consistency, that consistency in language, the consistency in approach. And then, yeah, distill it down to the faculties where they can take it, make it subject specific, and then bring in other strategies that are linked to that. But there will, there will be some things that work in maths that maybe don't work as well in history or geography. But yeah, if you've got those core strategies um, that everyone is exposed to, the same for teachers, actually, because again, there are a lot of things, and, 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 and I know it will be the same with you, Dave. There are a lot of these strategies we know about, especially with revision, a lot of them with metacognition. They just don't really work for maths. And that's fine. But actually being aware of them, um, for me, has been really, really helpful just to build my own understanding of how cognition and wider learning, I think, works. Actually knowing how it would work a bit more in an English or, or in a PE or a science. Um, it's actually just really helpful to understand, um, yeah, what's going on in kids' brains, really. And it's it's really important for us in English as well, because we have the misconception that is generally applied particularly to English language. Oh, I, I can't revise for English language. There's, you know, it's because it's so very much about applying processes to a text um, and then being able to, to, to do that in order to write answers. The, the, the general ideas is, well, how do I revise for that? Mm -hmm. So really breaking down those strategies with them and showing students how they can revise English language in particular. Um, through these different revision strategies, really breaking that down and showing them has really helped to kind of um, try and, and, and eradicate that misconception so that the students go, oh, okay, this is how I go about doing it, um, which is, you know, can only be beneficial uh, for a subject like English language where that is a real challenge. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And um, 
and it's just um sort of it makes me think about uh, the different techniques that are out there then because you're um I'm, I'm thinking about um later i think about what you said then about it's really useful to know the techniques that are used in other subjects even if it isn't necessarily what you're going to use uh, yourself because I've, I've found that what i've done in my narration is i it, maybe i haven't used cornell notes but there might be something within the process of using cornell notes mm-hmm. or watching someone use cornell notes that this may be maybe make a link and, and then my narration just gets that little bit sharper and, and the, yeah. the sort of knowledge of of how the the this whole holistic process um is working um i guess it, that's my metacognition um i'm able to to, to stand back and think about well, why why don't we use that strategy in maths? And why do we use that strategy in English? And, and what is it about that strategy that's, that, that lends itself more to that question in that subject than, than the question that I'm doing at the moment? And, and it's been that thinking which has helped me to really sort of, um, you know, become more passionate as, as you are um, around it and, and then to, to hopefully pass that on to, to the students and talk about it more often. And, and so there's yeah. lots of reasons why um, sort of immersing yourself in it is, 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 can only be a good thing. Um, I don't know whether you know, uh, Kylie or, or, or Nathan, um, if there's any particular um, strategies that, that do lend themselves to, to your subjects better um, and, and some that maybe you haven't. I don't know if there are any specifics you might want to share either of you around um, those techniques because, because I find that really interesting and, and it be, might be sort of good for, for people to hear who might be listening and thinking, well, I'd like to try something tomorrow. Um, I'm an English teacher or I'm a maths teacher, but I don't know sort of which strategy which technique i should start with that i go that i should go with first um so so i don't know maybe kylie if i started um with you um, if there's any what strategies in english do do you use that, that seem more successful than others the, the most successful one is getting students to actually practice and actually um sort of getting them to deconstruct text as part of that that practice for how they go about and I'm talking key stage four here more so than key stage three but with key stage four really getting them to practice the the breaking down of a text um, for them to them to be able to apply those processes so um, the revision strategy that we always or certainly that I use within my classroom was going okay step one what is step one okay so when we get the text and it's set right in front of us what we're actually going to do with that text straight away you know and you'll get somebody put their hands up oh we're gonna we're gonna read it yes right why we're we gonna start off by reading it and just kind of break read and and it might sometimes come across as being quite patronizing but actually trust me you know year 11s particularly when they're in stressful situations like that forget the most basic of processes that are just going to really help them out when it comes to to, to writing a really great answer and taking it step by step all the way through then to going okay what do what does a good answer look like what do we need to make sure um you know sentence one includes okay well it needs to make sure it includes the key word from the question great why are we doing that and break really really kind of breaking that down and almost then transferring that into the the, the knowledge then to put onto a flashcard so that they're constantly then reminding themselves through those um to the use of those flashcards oh, okay step one is this so we almost like breaking it down to its kind of most basic mm-hmm. of details so that they've they've got that and they can learn it and they can apply it so when it comes to that exam scenario it's almost then so instinctive right i've opened up my booklet i now need to read the text i now need to highlight the keywords in the questions and it's this kind of you know making it almost as if it's second nature to them by the time we get to that point and um, by just going through so that's been a really 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 useful um, and again, just kind of reminding them that that that's how you go about revising for English language. You know, you've got flashcards then that has this process on it. Apply it, practice it. You know, is there anything there that you need to tweak? 
that isn't working for you that actually you feel you need to do it in a slightly different order because that will work best for you. But as long as they've kind of considered that um, as part of the, the learning process and really evaluating, you know, what works best for them in order to be successful, um, you know, that that's absolutely fine. Um, you know, to the extent where some students through going through that process have decided, you know, actually, I think it's better that I start with the writing first rather than the reading sections, because actually I feel like having gone through the process and having really evaluated it and torn that apart, that's what's going to work best for me. Um, and it then gives, I think, some students the ability to kind of make those choices for themselves that, you know, work best for them, which, again, is really, really important. Yeah, and and I I listen to you. Then I I want to be patronised as a as a um, as a teacher. If I as long as I know what I'm doing, like please do like make mm-hmm. it make it really really obvious for me because mm-hmm. then I know I'm going to get it right. And, and I, I find that my students are I worried about that to begin with. And now I find my students just really really appreciate it. They just yeah. really want it. And, yeah, sometimes they might say they don't. Like, oh, so I get it. But you can you can tell from the the motivation from the success they have. Uh, they really really want you um, to to make it really really clear. And I've been in so many CPD sessions where I've, I've wanted somebody um, to to just break it down and make it even clearer for me. Even though it's probably obvious, um, it's not quite as obvious for me. Can you just really sort of slow that down and just tell me step by step? And I love the idea of naming steps as well. I think that yeah. that just means that you can very quickly go to well, you know, it's step three. We need to be really thinking about here, um, and it's quick. Um, with that language, Nathan, I didn't come to you first because I just I, I know no matter a little better and and to have my ideas on on what um, the strategies might be. But are there any that you found that have particularly worked for you or that, that you think? Well, I'm going to jump jump on what something that Kylie said quickly. And yeah. and Kylie, I think you said when you're analysing a text, I, I think you, the, 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 sorry if I'm, I'm quoting you wrong here, um, but you sort of said right, what's the first thing we're going to do? We're going to read it. Why? And I, I I love that question because. The natural thing for a student to do is, well, I'm going to read. Of course, I'm going to read it. But, but what? Why? Why are you actually reading it? What? what why are you doing that? Don't just go through the motions. Why? And it made me think of I had a, a year ten lesson actually just earlier today, um, and we were literally just had two two different lengths in a shape, um, and one was six. Uh, there was a little bit that was cut out that was two, and so the other length was four. So obviously, if long length six, little bits cut out, it's two. Obviously, what is left over is four. So I just had kids going, it's four, it's four, it's four. And I said, oh, it was about five minutes of me going, yes, but why? Why is it four? And so finally someone said, well, because I'm doing six subtract two. And I was like, right, fine, that is that is the why. And actually, when they were like, when they understood that, then actually we could progress into the algebra stuff. And I know in English, you're not necessarily, you know, they don't necessarily need to know, oh, I'm reading this because to make it more complicated, but actually just the understanding of some of these really fundamentally basic ideas, kids are often missing that, aren't they? They're like, oh, I've got a text, so I'll read it. Oh, I know it's six, you know, that, that bit must be four, but do they understand why? And that why of such these basic foundations can trigger so much. And I think, Kelly, you've probably found it, haven't you, with you know, just getting the kids to understand some of these really basic steps sets them up so well. You don't feel like you're teaching them anything that they wouldn't surely learn in sort of like year one or year two, but actually just making that so blunt and so obvious can be one of the most powerful things. It doesn't need to be something all singing or dancing. It doesn't need to be massively complicated, just really drilling on on a, well, why are we reading it first? Why am I reading it line by line? Or maybe why am I only reading the first chapter, the first the first paragraph, sorry, just, you know, breaking it down. Um. I think in terms of the main question, one strategy, if we're thinking about, I quite like to think about, right, if you're going to take one thing away, any any teacher, any phase, really. So even if we're thinking, 
even this strategy I'm about to throw out, you, you could use with one-year-olds um, all the way up to adult learners. And it's it's odd one out. Um, and I love I love the idea of odd one out. And you can give three options. You give four options. It works at any phase. Um, it works in any subject. And you can make it as easy or as complicated as you want. Um, and I just think that's something that we could all take away now, take into one of our lessons tomorrow with very, very little prep. But the quality of conversation, the quality of thinking that you can generate from an odd one out is is significant. And you can throw one together probably in 15 seconds and it will still give you a massive, uh, massive boost to what the students are learning. But if you can take your time to invest two, three minutes into a question, maybe have alternative odd ones out, um, have, you know, throw a misconception in there, something like that. And like I say, it will work across all subjects, all age groups, because it's something, you know, when you got when you got your, your own little kids, when they're when sort of one, one and a half, they start, you know, they can start pulling, you know, odd ones out or grouping different things together. So it really does work at, at any age. Um, and I just really love the odd one out as a strategy because it's probably, if we're thinking about the strategies in the book, it's probably the, the one of, if not the quickest thing, you can just do it like that on the spot or even just a quick question to the students, right? We've got these answers on the board, which is which is the odd one out, which is the odd question out, or uh, which is the, the the line that doesn't really sit here, or which quote doesn't work, or which historical date or event really jumps out for you as, as not sort of fitting. Um, so I love that one because you can just throw it in and straight away you can share so much of your thinking. And because you're removing the difficulty of of the right and wrong, students just start to think about the why. Um, you know, why Why might this not be the one? Why, why might it not fit the pattern generated by others? And that obviously, you know, brings you so nicely into the into the metacognition. I really like that. And and what I, what I like is, right, like the odd one out, as you say, it's so quick, but it's, uh, it really absorbs you. Um, it's really mm-hmm. sort of addictive almost at times. Um, there's a, yeah. uh, that quiz show that's on, is it the 1%? It's a 1% um, quiz show with uh, Lee Mack yeah. at the moment. And, and, uh, and there was a question, it was an odd one out question. And straight away, we had, like, I sat with my wife watching them. We were having a little go at the questions. But when that one came on, the, the amount of conversation from that one, like, we were just answering the questions all we couldn't. And, but that one was like, well, it could be this because of this. It could be this. And it was all of a sudden, we were really engaged and talked so much more about the, 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 the question that was there than any of the other questions. So it's a really engaging one, too, I think, the odd one out. I'll jump in there, Dave. Was that the question about the words and which one was the odd one out? Or maybe it was a different uh, it was a different one out. It was um, wow. I forget which one, but there was um, there was different. There was basically four that were made of wood and one that wasn't. And I said, "Well, that's right, the one okay. out. It wasn't." And then I thought, saw that four of them were five letters long and one wasn't, and it wasn't that either. And I was like, "Right." Was it? And uh, so I got really <laughs> consumed by it. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, they puts a few in, doesn't it? And it's it's really like really engaging. I was all of a sudden yeah. I was just really, really interested in what was on telly. And I think that that's another great thing about the strategy. There's like no barrier to engagement. Mm. No, there's no there's no opt out. You can't be like, oh, I don't know. Well, you've, it's a one in three. It's a one in four. Which is the obvious one that doesn't fit? Or even if you don't know, just guess. Put it on your whiteboard, however you are, you know, however you're doing the question. There's absolutely no barrier, um, you know, to, to getting stuck into that sort of question, which is, you know, which is another great thing about that strategy. Yeah. And it's a good training one as well because, like, the skill in in making one that's effective um, is, uh, is is quite a because because you can do one as I said where where it could be three or four different options, but you want sort of one particular option to come out and and, and be something that the students notice and recognise, or, yeah. or maybe just gives you a lot of data about what they understand and what they don't, depending on which one they picked. But there's a lot of a lot of things that goes on um, for for the teacher to to, to produce questions of, of high quality there as well. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of layers out, and I do really like that one um so so i'm 
this made me sort of think a little bit um this session about um study leave as well it's just sort of going on a tangent a little bit very quickly because i know we're coming towards the end but um but there's something where where i know lots of students will go on study leave and, and they'll finish year 11 um and uh, and they will sort of have those sort of four weeks where where they're at home and they're trying to go through those processes and we'll prepare them best we can for them but they're, they're quite sort of challenging uh, processes to go through and, and like as adults um it can be really difficult sometimes to to have that sort of self-regulation have that motivation but to, to really know where to start and what to do so so by setting the students up as we are with some of that explicit modeling i think that's um really important it's made me also think then about the modeling in maths and um and michael Pershing um who has been in and had uh, a session with us who who talks about teaching maths with examples and and the the amount that we learned from michael about how to model and the the sort of backwards fade in the partially worked examples mm -hmm. uh, um, and and one of the pieces that i wrote was uh, was about the, the partially worked examples was just totally inspired by by his work and, and his thinking around how you can sort of scaffold work and, and reduce that scaffold over time and the rates of the students about why um you're doing each particular step and taking that step away and and, and asking them why again ask them why is that step um there what is that step there for and and, and where is it getting us and, and why do we need it and is there another way uh, and those those powerful questions i think um yeah just maybe think of a few different things i sort of scatter around there i'm sorry but but yeah there's um there's so much i'm getting from this session nathan thank you so much it's really really enjoying um or learning just learning from you and, and um and for wanting to go in the classroom tomorrow and start to try um, or monday but then start to try um some of those things out so, so yeah it's just wonderful absolutely wonderful well, I think the amazing thing I've discovered about metacognition, I, I hate people call me, but I, I hate to sort of be known as an as an expert. I'm kind of like self-taught, but actually just and I know, Dave, we've spoken a lot first time face to face, but we've had so much email correspondence over the last couple of years. Um, but just speaking to you, Kylie, just meeting you today, hearing that English perspective, I've learned so much. And I think that's the amazing thing about metacognition. It's kind of it's unlimited in the in the approaches you can take in the little tweet because the thing that I hear about metacognitions are oh, here's a new strategy. It's a different way of teaching. Let's rip up the rule book and we'll train everyone in a different way. That's not what metacognition is. We still need the cognition, but we're just trying to push the method. This is tweaking our practice. This is saying why at the right times. This is explaining our thought process at the right times. This is, you know, instead of doing um, just a general worksheet, it's putting the worksheet in a slightly different way. It's getting the students to attend to the plan, the monitor and the value. You know, it, it's a lot of it's a lot of tweaks, which are why which is why I think just the more we talk about it, the more we can learn. So actually, hearing Kylie, you talk about you know the way that you break down those steps in in English language, and I will admit you sort of saying, oh, there's no way. A lot of people think there's no way that you can revise. I wouldn't necessarily say I'd have fallen into that misconception, but equally, if someone came to me and said, how am I going to revise for English language? I'd be a bit. I, I don't know, but actually there's so much there. And actually, if we approach it from that metacognitive angle of sort of, you know, that planning our response and monitoring of response, evaluating how do we know all along the right lines, how are we picking out these keywords, um, all of these strategies, naming the steps, all of that sort of thing. There's just, I think the more we talk about it, the more we can read, the more we can discuss it. Um, I just think sort of metacognitive practice and teaching is going to get so much better. And, and, and we can all sort of support each other really and learn it's one of those that we can really learn from other subjects and see how it fits into our own practice that's brilliant and thank you so much and it's one of the things that I know we we've, we've benefited so much from isn't it Dave is hearing from the other subjects at the same time is why we're hugely grateful for you for coming along so we can hear about this and also for for Kylie coming too um because 
I think I'm going to start that ball rolling for takeaways now, if that's okay. Because for me, um, I've been overcomplicating it. I've been overcomplicating metacognition and in my own head and and I think maybe worrying about it too much. And actually, some of the things that you've talked about today and you've shared with me have really helped with that. Um, in, and I definitely think odd one out is going to be a strategy I'm going to use in lots of different ways and scenarios. Because I think, as you mentioned, you can slice that in so many ways pre-planned, something you're doing to respond to something in a lesson, something that we're doing with colleagues in CPD, so many different ways that I can utilize that. So what I'm what I'm really keen to do now is to be more conscious in how I'm using that to help me break down that that worry that I was just overcomplicating metacognition and to help us more of a gateway for it. So thank you for that. And I didn't know if um, Kylie, maybe you wouldn't mind sharing your takeaway. Yeah, so my takeaway is, is around the exam wrapper, which I love as a strategy purely because it's just forcing students to do the thing that they sometimes don't really want to do, which is to evaluate how they've done and why they've come out with that result or why um, they, they've sort of what's been successful and what hasn't been successful and just really getting them to kind of break that down so that they then know what they need to either continue doing or what they need to change for the next time that they do that, whether it be something like, you know, PPEs and something really important and, and, and vital like that, or whether it's you know, a kind of more kind of formative assessment within the classroom, just really getting them to think, okay, well, what has worked for me there? I've got this mark or I've got this feedback. What, what has worked? Why has that worked? What was the strategy that I applied there in order to make that fit successful? And then, okay, what hasn't quite worked? What can I now do? And what will I go on to continue doing? Or what am I going to change for next time? And ensuring that that is a really embedded part of the process and, and practice when it comes to assessment, um, that additional layer. So we're not just asking them to apply feedback, in their green pens or what have you and you know making the applying the feedback that you, you've got them to do in a HR or an EBI or whatever really getting to think okay well what what am I going to do now is, is I think a really vital part of, of that process and one that I've, I've used more and more within my classroom and and students find it really uncomfortable to begin with I think particularly those that that might really struggle with their confidence anyway but then as you kind of use it more and they start to see it more and they start to see the benefits of that as well that um you know it starts to become a far more um sort of important process for them as, as, you know which can only be a, a good thing um to get them the the things that we want them by the end of their school schooling Thank you. That's that's great. Sorry, I was, as you could see, I was deep in thought and reflecting yeah. over what you said. You were saying there, forgetting then to also go, Dave. It would be brilliant um, if you would be able to include yours as well, Nathan. I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm already in another place thinking about all of these things. My apologies for that one. Oh, there is. Uh, like, I mean, likewise, I've got so many things going around in my mind. What I want to try, and and I think you're actually right about. Um, not overcomplicating it and then and then also not oversimplifying it once you get to that point where you've got it and and so you've got right I'm going to ask why 
Um, and now how can I build it in the right times? Um, and then what other questions can I add and start to slowly build, but build just like, like, with, like students would. Um, don't try and start with this really complicated idea of metacognition and, and all these different uh, places you can use it, all these different techniques. Just start with one um, and build up. And, uh, and that sort of took me to the place where, where we talked um, earlier in the session about um, as soon as the, the cognition part changes, then, then, it, then it all changes. The, the, the thinking about, about cognition is it's all, it's all different. And, uh, and so, so we can't just think, okay, um, that particular student, they're good at metacognition. Um, there's quite likely a correlation as, the, as they um, sort of go through and, and, and it's our job to, to close that gap and support all of our students to be able to think in this, um, in this way and, and to use metacognitive strategies, but um, not just to assume that because they're, they're strong maybe with um, how they think when they use Cornell notes that they're going to be really good at using flashcards or they're going to be able to think about why at the very beginning of that question um, on that step one with that English um, passage. It, it's really important to to, to assume assume that no knowledge and, and make sure that you're supporting those um, those students, all of those students to, to be able to, to think deeply about the learning that they are um, taking part in. Um, so, so that's the thing I'm going to be taking away is to, to really sort of take one step at a time um, and to ensure that I don't just box it as a, um, we are, we're, we're good at metacognition or we're doing metacognition to really think a little bit more deeply about what, what exactly are the thought processes I want my students to go through in that particular example or in that particular lesson. Um, but Nathan, I don't know if there's anything you want to build on quickly because I know we're fast running out of time, but, but we're just yeah. really, really grateful for your time here. Thank no, you so. I, I've definitely got a, a reflection. Um, thanks to Kylie. And actually, my reflection, um, I've realised, is going to be another book proposal, I think. I think I've just managed to think of another <laughs> book. Um, so Kylie, I'll get, get some credits on, on that for you and, and, and some, some commission if it works. Um, but my, my, my sort of conclusion is, is just listening to what you were saying, Kylie, about how it is in English. And, and obviously, Dave, I know, I know we sort of spoke about the sort of the tutor time curriculum and I'm really, really familiar. You know, you pick out typically revision strategies, right, that, that work across a range of different subjects. And that's typically what it looks like in tutor time. But actually, Kylie, you talking through what you do in English and me thinking there's a lot of parallels with what I can do in maths there. And actually, I think there's a conversation to be had within schools, within trusts, cross faculty. What are we doing in different departments metacognitively let's let's ignore the revision we know we're all revising and and you know we're, we're all using flashcards or using mind maps whatever it might be but what are we actually doing in terms of modeling what are we actually doing in terms of monitoring what are we actually doing in terms of evaluation is it the exam wrappers for actually we're using in every single subject because i was thinking oh they're more they're more maths but actually they're also good for english they're also good for this also good for that naming those steps and just being like why are we reading the text first why you know why is that the first thing making it really obvious again i just thought that was a maybe a more math thing like what but why are you taking away those two numbers um and again I didn't really realize how much of if we're just thinking about the pure metacognitive strategies the the strategies we introduce really just to drive that deeper understanding I didn't realize how many parallels there could be across subjects which really if we're trying to get two ends of the scale if we're trying to have a, di a dichotomy here maths and English really are sort of the, the two sort of placed at loggerheads with each other really aren't they in terms of what we're trying to do um, and if we're really trying to break it down one you're either always right or wrong and one you can never really be right or wrong it's just how good can you be but there's so many parallels in the strategies that we can actually both use um and yeah, I just think that could be really interesting for people who who are watching, who are listening, who maybe have got friends in different departments who want to try something out. See what works for, for both of you in what appear unrelated subjects and maybe have a look at some of the strategies in the books, how, you know, decide on some strategies you want to try. 
away from a vision and just sort of see how how a metacognitive strategy yeah, can work can work across curriculum there because I think that's that's really really been quite interesting to me. Amazing, that, um, Nathan. Thank you so much for that reflection because it's. I mean, we could go on and on for hours because I've got so much yeah. I want to say back on that. But we are we are fast out of time. Um, your your experience, your your knowledge, um, just your passion for this um, this topic. It's just been um, inspiring, and and it's uh, it'll be something which I'll take away. I'll listen to again. And no doubt I'll be trying things and, and my practice will improve as a result of this mm-hmm. conversation um, today. So just thank you so much for giving up your free time just to be with us. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thank you ever so much, everybody. I'm going to stop the recording now.